trying to fulfill the real before your eyes Step back with a clap of reality inside and revising your mind Buckeye Zach with Andrew Joseph dropping off from the sky Transforming you to educate yourself to realize Legacy Rides Legacy Rides Welcome, I am Buckeye Zach This is Andrew Joseph and welcome to, welcome to the Legacy Ride so I'm uh I don't really have a lot of exposure to your perspective. Um Zach has more exposure. I'm not sure if who wants to start here, but uh I guess how would you define your political views? So and that... um I'm a I'm a liber I'm a liberty maximalist and a government minimalist. I believe okay. in liberty for the individual the individual above all and um i guess less kowtowing to a state or a governmental institution okay now with that perspective oh i'm just trying to understand so would you say you're more like a minarchist or would you be more extreme than a minarchist or more reserved. I'm, I'm closer to a minarchist than I am to an anarchist because I just think the the state is inevitable. Even in a stateless mm. society, you're going to eventually have the institution of the state creep in. So I think the best thing to do is to limit government to the lowest possible level, less power over the individual, rather than just have no state because I think ultimately you're going to have a state no matter what. So I'm closer to a minority. Okay. So with with that being the case, then the consolidation of power should never be on a larger scale of things within society. Then would that be kind of close to your perspective, where maybe it stays it it stays more within the local community, and we don't have we like have the. A a kleptocracy or mm -hmm. an oligarch running the government. Mm. Um, we should have a, a collection of individuals, but they mm -hmm. should not have much power over, over the individuals in the wider community, in the states and in the communities. They should be basically stewards, not masters. The politicians, congressmen, the presidency, those should all be relatively powerless positions. I, I come from the belief that if the government is big enough that you see it and it affects you in your everyday life, then it's too big. I see. So um, let's put it this way. That influence caused by the government would be like quicksand. It would draw you in. But you think it should be in reverse, that we should be drawing the government's power in like quicksand they should be trying to swim upstream and trying to just be able to barely breathe while we're sitting there enjoying the oxygen you know like it's not a big deal put it in a different context i think that the consent uh the the governed need to rec need to reclaim consent we need to we need to let the government know basically that they are not in charge the people are in charge and the way that this institution was supposed to be built, the way that the founders built it, was so that the people would be more in charge than the government would be. 
but we've gone away from that in the years after founding. And I think we need to get back to that. And that's just one step on the path. That's not like getting back to the founding documents is just a small step of the decentralization process. Personally, yeah. I would prefer community centered uh, political process, community centered power rather than state centered, rather than uh, definitely not centrally centered. I would prefer it to be on a neighborhood, on a community, on a city basis. That to me is like the ultimate decentralization. And ultimately, the decentralization to its greatest extent is just every individual uh, being their own master. And that's more of like an anarchist viewpoint. So you, 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 take, the, you take the individualist idea of anarchism and then you apply it to small principles of minarchist views and exactly what, what uh, Andrew just asked and you answered um, quicksand. The government needs to be the, the one that's threatened by sinking quickly. Exactly. I mean, for that moment. Yeah, so with that being said, I lost my, and I'm trying to think of my question actually. Well, Andrew, you have any, anything else to delve on that perspective then while I try to I, de uh, dive in my I, mind? <laughs> that's fine. I would like to ask you uh, particularly, uh, you believe in, you know, negative rights right you believe that the state should protect our rights does that is that fair to say um i believe in the concept of natural rights but i would not say necessarily that everyone has like a natural i see it as more as a responsibility to your fellow man rather than as a right per se it's states have responsibilities to individuals within those states and individuals have responsibilities to other individuals. Okay. So with that, like, we all have responsibility within ourselves to respect our fellow man. Exactly. Um, but with, with a federalized system, do you, do you sway towards uh, the federalist view that the federal government is there to pr make sure that the states stay in line and, and not oversee uh, against individuals or how does it how do you look how do you look at that because it seems like federalism has actually increased federal power so much that it's kind of a blur anymore on yeah, whether or not it, they're really there to actually protect the rights of the individuals from enemies foreign and domestic that would be in the state governments corporations etc but with that would back to the basics but that would be that would be essentially what the government is there for the idea of a centralized government protecting the rights of individuals is a joke the central government mm -hmm. is not going to protect the rights of the yeah. individual mm -hmm. um if anything the states need to exist to keep the central government in, in check the, the central government does not need to be keeping the states in check that's my view mm -hmm. so more like an article articles of confederation type deal Instead yeah, except a, the Articles of Confederation had some some flaws, and initially the convention that ended up becoming the Constitutional Convention was uh, drawn up to to fix the Articles of Confederation, but we ended up mm -hmm. just having a whole new document. And I, yeah. I would have preferred to fix the Articles of Confederation, just to be honest, because I think that is a better, I guess, like it's it's a better standpoint. It's it's a better foundation for society than the Constitution is. 
and without the Bill of Rights, the Constitution would would not be a document that I would even want to. I don't think would even be worth saving. So with the with the Constitution, though, the the structure of it seems concise, and the idea around the checks and balances are rather nice, but people tend to either they've never really truly read what the Constitution is all about and interpret it, it seems, or they just don't care and it's mainly about the Bill of Rights. The first ten and specifically the first two realistically is the main argument. So what is what is your opinion on the uh structural structuralized uh formalities of the and how it forms the, the government for what it's supposed to be. Well, the fact that the Constitution provides the capacity for taxation, mm-hmm. to me, illegitimizes the whole process. I mean, the founding fathers had just a war with Great Britain, with a central government, over excessive taxation, you know, sort of over excessive taxation, like with mm-hmm. the protectionist policy the tariffs the um the the taxation and you would think that that would not have provided the capacity for the new government to do that kind of thing but they did they opened the door wide open and i i just don't i don't see why they would do that i think that was that was a grave mistake and i think a lot of the people at the convention a lot of the people that you know would have preferred the Articles of Confederation to have stayed, the people that were at the convention would agree with me on that. The mm-hmm. the um, I guess the capacity for taxation in the Constitution refu- uh, defeats the whole purpose of the Constitution. Well, out of fifty-five delegates, only thirty-nine signed. There were definitely some disagreements with the with yep. the Constitution. So strong disagreements. Yeah, and, uh, and and. We ended up fighting, uh, speaking of the revolution and the protectionists, the protectionism of Great Britain, the no taxation with re- representation, essentially the excessive taxation. Essentially, we uh, we as a country ended up fighting a, yet another war. Um, in 18, from 1861 to 1865, we were divided, fought another war that was, for the all, all purposes, slavery was an issue, but it was mainly... Uh, two sides and disagreement towards how towards protectionist rights with the economy so right i would agree with that i Mm -hmm. i think that the there are a lot of issues that sparked off the civil war it wasn't just slavery Mm, but that's a rosy picture to paint in the history books just like Mm -hmm. with a lot of other conflicts so i think i think Probably the idea that ultimately the winners write the history and the winners have written the history, especially in regards to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And so, if, if, sorry. No, go right ahead. Right ahead. Um, I'm just listening here. The, the Constitution, I believe, is like a, it's, it's, it's communalized Article Federation. It's centralized and accelerated. Has significantly accelerated the growth of the state's power and influence because it has a monetary monopoly. Um, it makes it too expensive for people to diverge from the the narr- the common narrative and perspective of the everyday person. 
would do you say that with particularly the crypto markets that it's an attempt not you know a guarantee to decentralize the uh, the status quo and the the general trend of society towards conflict Constitution is a decentralizing document for certain, unlike anything else anywhere in the world. But I just don't think that it goes far enough to accomplish that end, especially not when it gives a central government the capacity to tax the states. I don't think it I I think it basically defeats the purpose of having a constitution, a decentralizing document when you allow a central government to tax states and individuals within states. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I've studied this for a long time, and it just doesn't make sense. Okay. So, and you stated that there wasn't a, a whole consensus for the Constitution. Is that correct? Okay. Yes, there was so there were, there were people who were allergic to the ideas, some of the ideas in the Constitution. Is that fair? 100%. So... If that is the case, why is it illegal to divorce and create a new constitution or a new decentralized monetary system? Well, yeah, I mean, why is it illegal to divorce? Why is it illegal to secede? Good question. That's an excellent question. Um, mm-hmm. The founding fathers, when they when they wrote the constitution. Isn't there a provision in there that states that it's it's treason or whatever to to try to disillusion or dissolve the states or whatever? So, I mean, it, it's weird because you're trying to decentralize the motive here. The stative motive is to decentralize with this document, and yet you're doing a lot of stuff that doesn't fit in with decentralization at all by not allowing states to secede, not allowing them to form new unions, not allowing them to basically, you know, show their distaste with the direction of a central government by forming an alliance with another state or whatever the case may be. There are a lot of things in the Constitution that, in my own personal opinion, I don't know where you come down on this, defeat the purpose of it existing. Well, I mean, and I think there is actually something, something, there's something somewhere in there that does actually say something about some, yeah, yeah sure. about trade, yeah, treason. But for the most part, there's a bill of rights, though. And you would think that if, if the federal government, if they truly were trying to interpret it correctly, you would, you would think that the 10th amendment of the bill of rights would be that certain clause for succession because if anything if the federal government can't deal in the in any legislation and the states can't deal with legislation essentially there's a disagreement then it has to go back to the states so whether it's in the constitution or it's the 10th amendment that you want to it essentially is just it's basically from my perspective it's basically signifying that the federal government from the beginning stages of this country the powers that be just did not want to dissolve this country pretty much pretty much i think that from the beginning let's face it 
when they called the convention to fix the Articles of Confederation, quote unquote, there were some people that went into that convention already knowing what was going on. They had an idea. There, there was going to be no fixing of the Articles of Confederation. They knew there was going to be a new document. And I think that a lot of people were like tricked into, you know, calling this convention and into participating in this convention, thinking that mm-hmm. the artists were reboot. But what mm-hmm. they got was a whole new document that basically, you know, defeated, uh, got rid of a lot of the decentralization that the artists of the Federation included. So I, I think that they got a raw deal for certain. Well, not 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 only that, but you had guys like Alexander Hamilton and Robert Morris who were successful. Yeah, they wanted the they wanted the bank, and they were Morris was most definitely an asset to the most notorious family in the secret history of the world, the Rothschilds, and there was some there was definitely some nefarious dealings on in order to get that situation put in place and that's what if that's what essentially split the convention down the middle between the anti-federalists and the federalists which would eventually become the two political parties that would sustain our country for a time period before they would evolve yet once more the federalists and the democratic republicans jefferson versus hamilton so mm-hmm. The uh, the Federalist Papers, I've read them. I think that some of the Federalists meant well. They didn't, they weren't, it wasn't really a malice thing for a lot of them. But I think they made a huge mistake, a fatal mistake even, by getting rid of the Articles of Confederation altogether and just putting up a, a, this new document. It's... Um, Henry had some really good comments about the whole constitutional process. I forget exactly what his comments were. Something like, can a constitution or can a legislature not be as tyrannical as a king? And -hmm. I don't think they took that into account. Um, A legislature, a a body of individuals that get to vote on your well-being, get to vote on your security, quote-unquote, can be just as tyrannical to you as a single person can. So it's not like if you just make it a bigger body, if you just make a, a legislature where they get to vote on, on your life, pretty much, that it's going to be less tyrannical than a king. I would argue that it's more tyrannical than a king. It, it can be, and that's uh, for a man like Lysander Spooner who wrote about extensively about the United States Constitution and the failed contract or lack there of so to speak um he essentially he diverted towards demand that uh, the legislation be proven for what it really was they were they're on they're a elected uh group of tyrants who have no true accountability and he liked to use the phrase especially in his in his essay constitution of no authority uh secret band of robbers and and murderers and he's not talking about the legislators. He's not talking about the elector, the elected. He's actually talking about the elector, the voters, because through this contract of the Constitution, you have you essentially have people, and at that point, small facet of society, mainly just men, white men, 
over, I think at the time they may have had an age, but typically they were probably in their thirties plus at that moment. And uh, at least they were common law instead of elite landowners as original, but they, they vote for whom they perceive should lead them. The majority wins. The lose is essentially unconstitutional as the minority is the opposition. And, but nobody is actually known because you, you voted by secret ballot and thus by secret ballot where you are individually unknown, then those who you elect don't necessarily know who exactly the majority uh, individually are that voted for them. So with that being the case, they are, they, there's no accountability to what they can or cannot do. So who are they representing? If they're not representing, if they're representing the majority, but they don't know the majority individually, then it's irresponsible to conclude that anybody that's elected in, especially on, on the federal level, anybody that's elected um, in this country under the United States Constitution's clause is actually for the rights of the individual. I, I mean, they're just going to go and. Mm-hmm. I take it you've so read there, Democracy, the God that Failed by Hans Herbert Hoff, correct? Uh, I've, I've briefly read a little bit. I haven't got delved into it. Andrew, I think you've actually read it fully. No, you? I have read it. I've got a copy yeah. of it. I just mm-hmm. been trying to catch up. So. Yeah. yeah, I highly recommend it. It's a really good book. Mm-hmm. And it really lays out this whole thing. I'm missing a lot of difference with in Churchill, um, but mm-hmm. one of his quotes, I will, I will have to give him this. He did say that the greatest argument against democracy is a conversation with the average voter, and he nailed right on the head because mm-hmm. the average voter is economically illiterate; they have no clue mm-hmm. how anything works. But let's mm-hmm. just face it: the average American voter is stupid. They don't know anything about the system. They don't know anything about who is supposed to control what. They don't mm-hmm. understand basic economics. And you're going to trust these people to vote people into a legislature mm-hmm. that are going to vote on your rights? No. Mm-hmm. No, sir. See, that's a good point. Because mm-hmm. people become allergic to the outcomes. They don't become – they're contagious to, to the narrative, but then they're allergic to the outcome. That's why you see a lot of people leaving from like California to Texas, and mm-hmm. it's it can only co people can only coexist with these two things so long and until there's direct conflict. So let me uh, let me ask you, mm-hmm. how long do you think realistically until society becomes starts to become allergic to the very foundations of the Constitution? The very foundations of, of the Constitution, and, and I would well, also argue the, 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 the Constitution. Yeah, the whole American system, basically, the whole centralized government. I, yeah. Basically, since I, I started reading libertarian literature and listening to mm-hmm. different anarcho capitalists, you know, people that come from different sides, that whole libertarian sphere. You know, I know anarcho capitalists don't like to be labeled libertarians, but in their social ideology. In their economic ideology, they're awfully close. But I mean, yeah, there there is definitely definitely need to be an alliance between anarcho capitalists and libertarians rather than you know an animus that we see that I've seen. 
but I think that anarchists are definitely on the right track. And I guess anarchists would say that libertarians are on the right track, but not quite there yet. But I think if you delegitimize the institution of the state, which don't get me wrong, it is illegitimate. Okay, it's illegitimate. But here's the problem. If you take this whole anarchist approach, don't vote. Don't participate in the process because the process is illegitimate. You're going to find yourself in a tyranny because your neighbor is going to vote you into one. And you have to participate in the political process. If you don't, your neighbors are going to vote you into a dictatorship. What if, can, what if we did? Oh, what if we decided to divorce from that all and go live in a mountain somewhere? <laughs> They'd still yeah, probably follow us, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Just, I would uh, if you had a, uh, you know, a society or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. I would. Yeah, I, I would much rather. I would much prefer to live in like a small communitarian. Yep not communitarian community, like a community-based um, mm-hmm. institution rather than like a, a, a state or a, a legislative branch or, or an executive branch. This just seems like overlords. And mm-hmm. I know that's like a, a an anarchist point, but I mean, basically politicians and people in the legislature, people in political positions are overlords. And... I don't think that's very much different from a king or a dictator, except there's more of them. You have more kings mm-hmm. and you have more dictators. All these politicians, except for a select few, they're trying to change the process, which God bless them. Good luck. They are going to they are all basically little dictators. They're all voting on your rights. They're all voting away your rights, except for a select few. They're like little kings and little dictators. And they love that position. They like being in that position mm-hmm. of authority. And they want more power. Mm-hmm. Like a drug. It is. It's like a drug. Once you get hooked, there's this. It's hard to stop. So, but I mean, that comes to the point. Like you were, uh, you you mentioned Patrick Henry and him referring to legislation that the legislator can be just as much of a tyrant as a king, one king. Um, and that leads me to a to like one of the best quotes, and this movie is terrible by all means, The Patriot. But the best quotes in the early part of the of the movie, when uh, Benjamin Mel Gibson's character is in the legislature while they're voting to ratify the Declaration of Independence, he stands up before them. He's a moderate. He says, "Would you rather have one king three thousand miles away or three thousand kings one mile away?" And that. That quote in that movie, since I watched it when I was like eight years old, has stayed with me because it makes so so much sense because your next door neighbor, their next door neighbor, everybody around you can be just as dictatorial, just as tyrannical. I mean, everybody wants authority, even if it's perceived like everybody perceives that their authority is 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 legitimate. So, I mean, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be? wouldn't have been better for this country actually to gradually just position itself away from Great Britain, sort of like how Canada and Australia and New Zealand, I mean, they still technically their head of state is still the queen, but they eventually weaned off away from the empire and it was a little bit more peaceful means. Now, don't get me wrong. They have their own issues, but we, everybody has their issues. Wouldn't have been better for the United States to, come about through the decentralization the peaceful passing of the torch 
down the road like Canada and Australia and New Zealand did um, rather than fight the revolution that we fought. And inevitably now we're basically in the same boat. Our federal government forces us to pay 50 percent in federal taxes, let alone our state taxes. I mean, in comparison to a spec um, that we fought for, that our ancestors fought for in that revolution, which was like two, three percent of taxation, but no represent, representation. Of course, I mean, nobody wants to get taxed. All taxation is theft. It's extortion. But it's I mean, that's a small pill to swallow when you realize they pay. They were fighting for less than what we're getting taxed now. And mm -hmm. I mean, our government's yep. overexpanding. I think the, so tax, the tax that they were fighting against was like a three percent tax. Something like that. Yep. So what, what would, uh, would that have been the better route then to, to eventually kind of make peace with Britain, kind of start a decentralization process down the road, um, or would the same outcome be the same um, and a revolution would have been fought, sort of like how the Civil War was, ended up being I, fought? I'm for peaceful resolution when possible. Mm -hmm. and the founders did take that route they did try mm -hmm. to petition the king and he laughed it off i don't true. think their revolution was you know wrong i think no. they did the right thing by fighting the king it was mm -hmm. a futile effort a lot of people saw it as that but they actually did win because of you know french influence and and a lot of things going the right yeah. way it was like a perfect storm mm -hmm. um but i think the better course of action would have been rather than starting a new centralized government, uh, a new, I guess, group, a new confederation of states. After the Revolutionary War, after they threw off the chains of bondage from King George III, um, they should have split up into 13 separate countries. It should have been separate countries. They could have had an alliance but there wouldn't have been one centralized government. I think that's ultimately the problem, and that's where we draw a lot of our problems from today, mm -hmm. the institution of the central government. So if it were 13 countries, and then you just have countries, 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 as history goes on, I think we'd be in a better position. Well, then uh, then you run the, you do run the risk of uh, the larger colonies or the larger states at that point that have more influence absorbing the, the smaller colonies. So. Uh, or either as a vassal for the most part, or um, you think that would be the, that would that have been more of a major concern? Is that why they may have decided to consolidate and unify? Or was there a more nefarious means to wanting centralized control in your opinion? I think that humans in general desire mm. some form of safety. And for whatever reason, the average human being thinks that their safety lies in a state. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the founders and people in the 1700s were any different. They feel like that without a central collection or a center, central gathering of control, someone mm -hmm. to look up to, someone to protect you, that you're basically in a state of, of chaos and you're vulnerable. And I don't think that's necessarily true. But I think the desire for a central government comes from a point of a desire for safety. Like whenever mm -hmm. I make the argument that the central government is illegitimate and we 
don't need it. And a lot of the, the institutions of the central government are illegitimate. We don't need them. Everyone always tells me, but we do need them. We do need them. What if we're attacked? That's always, that's always mm-hmm. the pivot. What if we're attacked? What if there's a war? What if there's a world war? What would we do? So I think that's, that's basically where it comes from. This whole belief that government equals safety and we need to have some kind of a centralized state in the event of a war or a natural mm-hmm. disaster or what have you. Everybody wants freedom, but nobody wants the responsibility for it. You know. 100%. Mm. Yeah, liberty, liberty is mm. responsibility, and that's why people don't like liberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you, you had another question, Andrew. Um, I do, but we're going to go ahead and cut it off here so we can have our sponsor spot, and we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Welcome back. Let me let me go ahead and uh, just get this on the table because I'm kind of curious. Can I ask you to, you to share your perspective on agorism just as a philosophy in general or strategy? Or as we agorism? like to refer to as left libertarianism. <laughs> um agorism approaches libertarianism anarchism with a little bit more of a left bent um mm-hmm. i wouldn't go as far as to say it's left libertarianism um i think it's close but i don't think it's quite there well, Agorism, we're, we're, we're to the um, left of amcap that's really all all the left really means <laughs> Yeah, you all, you all are, um, yeah, de- definitely different from ANCAPs, but, but you're you're close. I I'm not really, I mean, I'm not very well versed on like agorist uh, ideology. I know what you stand for. I just haven't read your philosophy. Um, can can you kind of give me an idea of where you differ from libertarians and anarchists on certain issues? So I can probably say for Zach, but I can say for sure. This is just my per- personal perspective from what I've gathered that agorism, that me and, and Buckeye Zach here believe that agorism helps co regulate anarcho capitalism. It's like a strategy, like I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it forces uh, the state to contract and not be able to expand at, at such an accelerated rate. Everything is about decentralization. And that's it's think about it like you know people say there are go zones no go zones and stuff like that like say you go up to uh up up to, up to um sorry I'm trying to remember the uh, michigan michigan uh you know how, how there's there they've got there's safe zones that you can go to and stuff like that but or the new the influx of population to people from the Middle East and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that kind of fits in with with agorism. Is that if you wanna if you wanna access something, no matter what people may feel about it, a, a particular thing, there's still people who are gonna act on it. You know, because they're not allergic to it. They're they're, they're it's it's contagious to them. They need it. So, so, so you believe in an in a one hundred percent free and open market? Yes, basically. Of, yes. of anything, even stuff that we would say violates the non-aggression principle. Yes, to a certain extent, because from my 
perspective, you can't always stop it because if you stop it, then you're just going to cause more aggression Conflict. and more issues. I mean, and we're 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 n compliant with our within our own, non-compliant with those that act in an aggressive manner. So it's essentially divorce. So we work within the market, we counter it. And if you want yeah. to dissolve that uh, from like, say your society, then you would counter it economically. So make people, I mean, I don't know, look, let's take, um, let's take marijuana with antidepressant drugs uh, for that matter. Some people, um, some people that partake in, in anything, cannabis, whether it's edible or smoking it, whatever, um, tend to believe that there are and science can back this up there are a for some people it wouldn't work but for others marijuana could be a, a tremendous uh antidote towards their depression and towards yeah. their their mannerisms of their mental illness issues and for those they may need to take something like zola or or uh, or abilify so they may have to so you you embrace in the market that the consumer um wants to expand into that helps them so um essentially both sides are are going to be countering one another you have you have a cannabis industry you'll have an antidepressant uh lab made drug that's created um that it, in, they just counter one another so they're in frequent competition and pretty much they could uh they could force one another out of business and then and in reality nobody's going out of business in the real market because there's always going to be somebody that steps up and starts their own business with that facet of industry within that segment of the market so it's all about countering so that's pretty much what we perceive like there's there's no compliant there's it's just a non it's a compliant non-compliant non-violent means to to living life well I, I agree with decriminalization of drugs and i agree mm -hmm. with a um a free and open market for controversial things but mm -hmm. here's the issue mm -hmm. i have how mm -hmm. controversial are we willing to go are we willing to say human trafficking should be allowed are we willing to say that you know trade of body parts should be allowed how far are you willing to take that philosophy well as long as it's voluntary um that's but that i mean there's always going to be it life is in a in the natural world that we live in it's chaotic so we just have to live within it so yeah. there are and and people have their own moral moralistic construct and so people are going to divorce from things that they're going to set completely separate from what they deem immoral on their own individual conscience. So, and it's not that we can stop human trafficking anyway, because look at how much like using human trafficking, especially in the sex industry, um, as well as immigration, but specifically in the sex industry, the, the prostitution, the sex slavery, that has expanded innumerously because we have been split. Our market has been split into two for what the government can control and the government overregulates. And so because we have the quote unquote white market, um, which is government controlled, the regulated market, basically the corporate market, 
and then you have the black market and the black market in order to survive it has to get pretty damn ugly um you're you end up having the rampant expansion of of ugly things that occur so like you you can't stop you really cannot stop ugly you can only separate from it and that's essentially what an what an agorist or agorist tomato tomato uh, however you want to call it um operates is we just as long as there is a peaceful voluntary and consensual relationship between those within a realm of the free market um which is how society runs um that's how that's that's how we perceive things so moralistically i'm not going to be the one that's going to be for sex trafficking i'm not going to want to be a part of that that facet of the market i'm going to make sure that i try to counter that in my own way by uh embracing more positive realms of the market but you're always going to have evil there's evil in this world and you just can't you can't keep you can't stay away from evil or actually you have to stay you can stay away from evil i should change that you can't fight evil because evil if you fight evil you're just in, you're going to end up becoming evil yourself so the best case, case scenario is to counter it in your own way and separate from it i agree with that i agree with that 100 so, um mm-hmm. yeah i i don't i don't consider that radical i think mm-hmm. that if if somebody has something that they don't want to do then they should just not do it mm-hmm. um but i would i would say i would say that on issues uh, I mean, such as murder, such as theft of property, such as theft of a, of a person themselves, that kind of thing should 100% be illegal and 100% discouraged by society because that mm-hmm. basically, you're talking about a voluntary relationship here. Mm-hmm. Theft is involuntary. Murder is involuntary. All this stuff is involuntary. Yep. So if, yep. if, the, if the criteria is voluntary, is it being voluntary? then theft, murder, rape, those things cannot be legal in a voluntary society because they are by definition involuntary. Okay. So that's a good that's a good point. Mm-hmm. But I would ask your question I asked your question and your opinion. How do you counteract something so, such as uh futures markets in the crypto where uh there are markets that literally have the capacity to predict and bet on people's assassinations just um, decentralized how can how can you how can you guarantee something like how, how can you counter that that's an interesting question um for sure uh i i don't think that you can regulate transactions between individuals no matter what that transaction is related to because if you give the government the power to regulate transactions then that's going that's going to break the dam wide open so you can't give them the capacity to regulate transactions like voluntary mm-hmm. transactions between from one person to the other mm-hmm. whether it be money whether it be crypto whether it be pebbles whatever so um I, I don't think i would regulate that because ultimately gambling um illegal gambling betting that kind of mm-hmm. stuff already takes place in the criminal market and yeah. you cannot regulate I mean, you just cannot shut that down. It's impossible to shut down the black market. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not possible to do that. 
it's Pandora's box. The more the more black market, you fail miserably. It's Pandora's box. The more that you uh, you know, try to put it back in, the less 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 capacity it is for us to you know deny the reality of of life. That there are going to people be people who act, people who are nonconformists, who Mm -hmm. don't give a damn about the consequences. And the only solution is direct and physical retaliation. If mm-hmm. your if your rights are violated, your, your rights, you know, your right to act action ends at your at, at the, your property line. After that, mm-hmm. everything else after that, everything else is private, and the consequences are gonna play out as they need to play out. Mm-hmm. This is, it's just a natural mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And you can't give government the capacity to regulate certain industries, certain transactions, certain types of different things government mm-hmm. shouldn't regulate. Because if you give them a capacity to regulate it, because you say that, well, being used by a criminal enterprise or whatever, you give government, give the state an inch, they will take a mile. So if you tell them, okay, you can regulate transactions of crypto on like the 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 dark web mm-hmm. uh for like criminal enterprise they're going to say okay if we can regulate uh crypto for criminal enterprise then we can regulate crypto period they're going to yeah. take that and they're going to mm-hmm. run with it so you cannot give them that capacity mm-hmm. what's the scary aspect is is they're working on that capacity right now with the uh good old-fashioned digital dollar yeah so they're trying to I mean, throw so saying in the end, as I saying our last our last program, you know, they think they could just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and then you know, mm-hmm. market will the the capacity for the market to adapt will capitulate. Mm-hmm. State control is a drip, 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 drip process. Mm-hmm. They don't just come yeah. in all of a sudden and say we're going to take over this or we're going to regulate this. They mm-hmm. do it a little bit at a time. Just mm-hmm. one regulation here, one regulation there. They don't do it all at once. It doesn't come on like a flood. It's a drip, drip, drip process. And every time that drip comes down, you lose a little bit of your liberty. A nice, nice con- comparison to that is the uh, the expansion westward from the original thirteen colonies on the eastern seaboard of the Atlantic as they as we move westward. One treaty with indigenous tribes ends up turning into another treaty. Treaties are repealed. Treaties are violated, and for you know, and they they get moved every inch. They get moved back just an inch. Next thing you know, it's a foot, then it's a yard, then it's a mile, and then all of a sudden they they're I mean, on you have they're living on a reservation. Yeah. What's a woodland Indian living on a reservation in northern Texas or Oklahoma, somewhere where they they're don't even living on a reservation in North Carolina. Koala boundary, mm-hmm. which I'm very mm-hmm. familiar with. Mm-hmm. So Max Turner put it this way, the men of the future will apply for rights that we don't even miss. And basically what he's talking about is grandfather. So negative rights that, that we enjoy today will become unpopular and out of fashion for future generations. I think mm-hmm. we can see a lot of that in, you know, with the traditional family that's been a significant increase over the, the last couple of decades of divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, the father is getting pushed out of the picture. Just the government is stepping in. 
consistently through debt to take over mm-hmm. the role of the father. And that significantly increases social conflict, which calls for more direct intervention. This is just straight, uh, I want to say straight up, but it's very, very slowly paced communism, like you were saying earlier, but the drift. Mm-hmm. Not even just communism, ultimately socialism, communism, fascism, all these ideologies draw their their conclusions. They they get their um I guess they get their inspiration from one ideology, statism. This idea that the yep. state is superior to the individual. And how far are you mm-hmm. willing to take that? Communists take it to say that the state should own all the land and should own all mm-hmm. the industry. Fascists are yep. willing to take it to say that the state should decide which businesses uh, succeed and which businesses fail. So ultimately, and with, this idea that the government is superior mm-hmm. to the individual, and also not only that, that the individual cannot properly function in their day-to-day life without the guiding hand of government guiding them through. Life. You ever seen the uh, the movie? Uh, okay, yeah, what it's called now. Sorry, it's a it's a Ghibli movie. It's about World War Two, but there's basically saying that you, you know. And there's a line in it that says you can't live outside the system. And I think that's this, you know, it circles, it circles back to this, this fact that we have one monetary system who draws us in and it forces us to capitulate. And the only way mm-hmm. to have a, a really objectively free and open market and free society is if we reverse the, the capacity for them to force us to capitulate by making them capitulate by decentralizing the money supply. So Exactly. Exactly. People should be allowed to barter whatever you want to use as currency. Here's the matter. If two individuals want to make a trade, they have mm-hmm. to decide what they're willing to use as currency. They have to decide what they're willing to trade one item for another item or if they're willing to trade some form of currency for that item. Ultimately, currency mm-hmm. is fake. That dollar in your wallet is just a piece of paper that's been stamped with a promise from the U.S. government that isn't worth mm-hmm. a hill of beans. Mm-hmm. And I think people should be allowed to use currency, whatever they want to use mm-hmm. as currency. I mean, if you want to pay, I, I mean, if you got some little children and they want they want to buy a lollipop and they want to pay in marbles between oh, yeah. themselves, as long as that's a voluntary interaction mm-hmm. and they both agree on that. Then yeah, that's currency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or bottle caps or anything cigarettes. for that matter. I mean, cigarettes. I mean, that's a big currency in prison. I mean, that anything anything can be of value because value is subjective and all all currency is is a, a medium of exchange. So it's a transaction piece that uh, we're pretty much reserving as a third a, a third-party particulate to uh, to to be able to to allow people to not have to constantly make something or have something that they have to trade, so you don't so you don't have a constant chaotic barter system. I mean, who wants to constantly have to have uh, uh, I don't know two hundred bushels of corn for somebody? who is going to trade that needs to constantly have uh, four cows and they trade 200 bushels of corn for four cows. Well, how about we, how about we use this dollar 
I'll give you this. We'll we'll make okay. How much is the how much is the the five cows? Okay, we'll we'll say that it is three dollars. Three dollars for I'm just using this as an example. So and instead now the three cows are three dollars, and then the two hundred bushels of of corn we'll say is uh five dollars. So now that you 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 have this exchange this this medium of exchange placed now you have the farm the corn farmer can make more to sell to multiple people than to have something prepped and ready for the cattle farmer and the cattle farmer can start raising cattle for a large uh, a large shipment that can go elsewhere to you know for slaughter because now you have slaughterhouses now you might need some rail you might need a transportation company to come pick up that that cattle to to move it and then all of a sudden other facets of the market build and then it goes from there and so medium exchange value is subjective but medium exchange stops you from having to constantly uh have having to constantly have whatever it is that that person values that they want in order to trade you no longer have to trade constantly so and have to pick a particular time frame now you can you're free to build up on that and actually uh, advance a market and then an economy the trouble is that government will look you in the eye and tell you that a, a piece of paper stamped with their seal is worth something and mm -hmm. it's not Unless mm -hmm. it's backed by gold, silver, or something that is of value, that is universally recognized, that's a value, that mm -hmm. paper is worthless. And that's a concept that the average American, the average voter, cannot get their head wrapped around. Yeah. So, real quick, I just wanted to make this correction. The film I was thinking of was uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Sorry. That's a good movie, I think people should check it out if they haven't seen it. You will tear up. That is the truth. It's a very powerful film. It's a, it is a very right. powerful, deep film, but uh, it's a good movie, though. What was it called again? I think I might have seen it. Grave of the Fireflies. I think I've seen it. I'm not sure. I, I, I might have seen it. Yes, it's but an I animated film. There are a lot of great films made about the World War II era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is... One one is another one, and I, it's been a while since I've seen it, and I can hardly really remember it. But the, um, it's called The Wind Rises, and uh, I'd like to find that and watch that again. That's also another Studio Ghibli film, so it's a Miyazaki film to be exact. So one the, I mean, one of the things I think about all the time is that whenever there's a war, whenever there's like a supreme evil, like Hitler in in Nazi Germany. When you make films after the war, they don't really focus. They focus on the war. They mm -hmm. don't focus on how these regimes come about. No. They don't focus yeah. on how Hitler rose to power. They don't focus on how people basically voted him in. And he mm -hmm. had like a 90% approval rating among the German population. Mm -hmm. All they say is, you know, Hitler, dictator, Nazi Germany. We fought him. We won. Let's move on. We don't talk about how these things come into existence. It's important to learn a lesson from history, like especially Nazi Germany, um, Stalinist Russia, uh, Mao in China. It's important to learn these lessons, but all we talk about are these regimes. 
we don't talk about in film and in the media. They don't talk about how they came about, how basically yeah. the population in most cases acquiesced to this power. This wasn't just somebody coming in and declaring themselves dictator. Mm -hmm. the, uh, they didn't put the crown on their head. The population, the voters put the crown on their head. So they basically got themselves into this mess. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking of Nazi Germany, I mean, the Nazis were able to take the majority of seats in the Reichstag. Hitler, uh, though he lost to, um, what was his name? What Paul um, Hindenburg, von Hindenburg. Um, he lost to Hindenburg in the initial pres chancellor of a, or president's election. Um, they actually had multiple recounts, I believe. I think there was two recounts, and I think one of them was actually a recall election in which Hitler still lost to, uh, in, in which the Nazis act and, and Hitler himself made secret deals with Hindenburg to eventually just have Hitler appointed as chancellor of the country. And through that, uh, being that he was the head of government at this point, head of the Reichstag with the, the majority of the Nazi party who absorbed the other, the other two parties. One, uh, one was the social Democrats and I forget the other, but they absorb, they, they made their deals to, and their alliances essentially absorbed these parties ousted the, the communist party uh, that was their rival, consolidated the Reichstag, and then then they utilized the crisis, the Reichstag fire. To, well, that was actually, that was the way, means of getting rid of the socialists, um, the communists, and then consolidating Hitler's power, the Nazis' power, absorbing everything under the Nazi control, and then, and then Chancellor Adolf Hitler um, assumed and they they essentially uh, got rid of uh, the presidential office as well. So they they I mean it was through democracy that led to the absorption of power that led to the consolidation of the Nazis and and, and inevitably the Third Reich. You so, won't you won't find I mean, that in any history book, and you, you won't find you, that in any film. You won't find that in any movie because they don't want to they don't want to talk about statism all they mm -hmm. want to talk about is how these regimes are bad and yeah they are they're terrible but how do they come about mm -hmm. some guy doesn't just get to walk into a room and say i declare myself president doesn't work that way mm -hmm. the people no, have to give him at least they have mm -hmm. to give him some authority to where he feels that he can make that decision mm -hmm. make that call even another way sorry oh, i I was just going to say, even Julius Caesar had to march across the Rubicon with his armies and then oust, the, uh, oust his rivals out of Rome. They fled to Greece, and, and then the people pretty much said, he's our leader. He's our yeah. king, and that's how he became dictator. So, Another way to look at it is this. You know, Hitler was an allergic reaction to the consequences of World War I and the invasion of France and Germany. In the inner, mm -hmm. people don't know this that that France invaded Germany because they were behind on their bills, mm -hmm. and they they occupied the territory, and that's greatly infuriated a large majority of the population, which directly came out as a, a, a cause, you know, the outcomes of World War Two. Mm -hmm. So the invasion of the Rhine yeah, one. The the um the treaty. I'm going to butcher this because I'm not very good with French town names, but I think it's the Treaty of Versailles. And um, that basically, after World War I, the Treaty of Versailles um, 
pretty much screwed over the Germans, screwed over the German population. Um, there was a, a period of extreme economic instability. Um, they got behind on their debt. And basically, it was World War mm-hmm. One that was supposed to be the quote-unquote war to end all wars that ended up mm-hmm. giving the, um, I guess, setting the stage for the rise of someone like Hitler, someone that would be yeah. viewed mm-hmm. as a savior and would yeah. be elected mm-hmm. popularly uh, in Germany. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people ignore the fact because uh, Italy, who was an ally um, during the, the Great War, they, uh, they came in late. They actually were uh, on the side of the central powers, but decided to take uh, affirmative action towards uh, and and split split sides. They split from the central power side and joined the Allied powers for land uh, in Austria, Hungary. I think it, it was um, along the AG, the Aegean Sea coast. I might be wrong on that one, but the shoreline there, they were. Uh, they wanted to retain that. I think that was uh, originally Venice, Venetian territory back in like the Middle Ages. And um, Italy never never was able to, they, they were never able to negotiate for their piece of the pie at the end of the war because they were a small fish. So, and essentially that ended up leading towards the, the rise of the, the Fasci party and Benito Mussolini, who in fact, I mean, as similar as, fascism and socialism is Mussolini probably be the first one to tell you we're socialist but at the same time we're corporatist because he all he did was he got kicked out of the socialist party and think what about 1920 1920 1919 1920 if I'm if I'm wrong I might be but close. if I'm not but it's close so yeah because he came to power in 22 I know that but um but yeah I mean he created his own party that essentially is socialist without the complete absorption of of property. Yeah, relationship between corporation or relationship between business and state. Mm-hmm. I don't see that any different than just a state um, usurping power over the individual. Mm-hmm. It's just the state with a business or with a corporation mm-hmm. to help them and to really to really make it stick so corporatism and and fasc- fascism and, and common i don't really see the difference except for in communism they take over mm-hmm. all the businesses and the government runs everything but yep. in fascism they let the businesses work for them to usurp power from the populace and to lord over the citizens Mm-hmm. What if we all just really decided to be real cool with one another and went along our ways? Would that be okay? I think we could do that. Yeah. That'd no, be a but seriously, world. seriously, <laughs> um, the, people the banks exist. and the yeah. central and the central government are co-equal actors. The, the the central government regulates the uh, as the bank grows and as the central government grows. They help co-regulate, you know, how businesses can inter- interact because they make it illegal. They make it they narrow and create regulations that are more and more rigid. At and the bank helps it make it too expensive to argue and d- dissolve those regulations. And that's bank how we get the situation. That's how we get the centralism. Yeah. yeah. 
They work together like for the state. It's kind of like an, an enlistment of business because yeah. the state is limited in the amount in the amount of um, I guess control that they can have over the population. I mean, unless it's like communism or something. If you want to be like a diet communist system, sort of, I'm mean, the way I'm going to put it. Um, yeah. The way that you do that is mm-hmm. rather than taking control of the of the businesses, all the businesses, all the corporations, you just get them on your side. And the people that won't yeah. involved, the corporations that say no, you just you just get rid of them. You make yeah. you choose who succeeds and who doesn't succeed. That's a corporate mm-hmm. system. And the ones yeah. that succeed are the mm-hmm. ones that do your bidding. That doctor woke. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and that's a that's a that's what we're seeing now. I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing now with how how the corporate corporatist system is waning in. I mean, back in the turn of the twentieth century, you had what was uh, the Sherman's Act, the anti big old antitrust bill that uh, that dismantled Standard Oil and uh, and the like to their many different little brands, and I mean, and not allowing the not allowing the actual competition that could actually probably coexist and at least counter. They may not be able to truly compete with, with a large monop- with a large big business, but at least counter the big business instead of a, giving this monopoly the power to just co-regulate itself with smaller entities. And that's what we have today is we have too many monopolies with too, different, too many different brands that the government allows to exist. Well, I mean, the little guy can't compete because you know, there's too many regulations. The, the government creates the regulations that eventually get absorbed that helps the larger businesses be able to work alongside the government. Regulate small business and mm-hmm. let corporations run amok. And mm-hmm. if you talk to the average Democratic voter, they'll tell you two things. Number mm-hmm. one, corporations are too powerful. Number mm-hmm. two, government doesn't have enough power. And yeah. you've got to understand the bigger the government, the bigger the corporation. Okay, because mm-hmm. a corporation is essentially a contract or a compact between between the state and a business. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. States agree to let a corporation prosper and to let them uh, basically have a monopoly over a certain over a certain industry mm-hmm. or a certain commodity. And in return, that corporation does the bidding of the state. It's corporate. Plain and it's car it's carpetbaggery. That's essentially what it is. It's no, no different from the carpetbaggers going down south at the end of the war when the mm-hmm. states. So, yeah. yep. But on an even more overexpanded, large, large standard, overexpanded, large, larger than than it ever once was. But it's it's no different. So, and and the the Democratic Party of today could actually be compared to the Republican Party back then, as as they were the they really they they were the parties of the corporation the difference is is i think the the republican party is still that party of protectionism which is yeah they've never lost that the the, the corp yeah the the democrat party on the other hand uh they've they've evolved they they took over the progressive movement that came about and expanded upon it and and 
folded it, it they broadened themselves with the influence of socialism and now we have whatever the fuck we have now <laughs> just too big a government we have no options except for no, getting, getting getting ready for that situation yeah everybody wants america first but nobody wants nobody understands what america first is and then for those on the left they just they just want large they just want more government because the corporation is is the threat so neocons warmongers they can all get up they can say america first and they think Mm -hmm. that america first means protectionist trade policy means Mm -hmm. all these tariffs means we're going to Stick it to China. No, you're not. You're going to stick it to the taxpayers because yep. ultimately the taxpayers pay the tariffs. And yep. they can get up there and they can talk about all this stuff, but they talk about America first. And I'm like, bro, you you don't you don't find a war that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, America first. Seriously, you're voting to fund countries halfway around the world when we have issues yeah. here. So mm-hmm. it's like it, America first. Seriously. You're not America first. You you just support protectionist trade policy, mm-hmm. and you also support war because, frankly, in my opinion, a lot of politicians are bought and paid for by Raytheon and by a lot of these defense industries. Mm-hmm. These uh, these defense um, what do you call it? Uh, the defense companies, the military yep. industrial complex. And mm-hmm. I had a guy I was talking to the other day he made a joke. He said that, you know, maybe politicians should like have uh on their on the back of their seat you should do the the uh you should have sponsors on the back yeah. of their seat so we know who they're bought for like nascar drive mm-hmm. yeah so we well, know who they're bought by yeah working for well we're up here to two minutes and this has been really entertaining and really informative yeah, and i, I really it. hope you'd be mm-hmm. uh open to coming back and visiting with us soon so Thank you very much for coming. Same here. And, One uh, last question, getting... though: should we, should we end the Fed? Hundred percent, and replace it with nothing. And replace it with nothing. I like that answer. Yeah. So it's been fun. It's been fun, guys. I appreciate so, it. Thank you very much. Thank you again, and we'll definitely have to do it again. Yeah, so. definitely. Thank you, guys. <laughs> have a good one. You too. You too. Peace. Well, Andrew, that was a uh, yet another fantastic guest appearance. So yeah, we're really getting the hang of this, aren't we? I I think we are, especially for unstructured uh, dumbasses like ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I can cut a promo like anybody else. I just gotta screw yeah. it up every once in a while. It it's realism. It's yeah. very realistic. You you gotta screw up in order to be one with the people so yeah something like that but uh but at the same time uh that was uh his name is uh ezra wyrick uh he goes by the twiddler the twiddler <laughs> the twitter handle at ezra for liberty uh yeah. go ahead jump on twitter give him a follow everybody and as for us uh i am the legacy of buck isaac you can hit me up on Twitter at Legacy underscore Zach. That's Zach spelled Z-A-K. And you can also hit up Andrew. Follow him at Twitter if you want to chat him up. Or uh, he also has his Bitcoin cash wallet uh, hooked up on his profile. I think it's uh, where yeah. his bio should be. So if you want to donate to us, uh, and 
Bitcoin Cash to help us uh, deregulate the system and derail the central bank, as well as uh, Bitcoin Cork on the map to, <laughs> as well as put us on the map of uh, doing exactly what we told you we want to do, and that is deregulate the legacy of all the bullshit by creating yeah. our own legacy. Um, hit him up at AI Conan ninety. And uh, donate, uh, donate with that Bitcoin Cash wallet, everybody. Yeah, uh, Andrew, Andrew will make sure that he gives people for one for for one Bitcoin Cash donated. He will give half of that Bitcoin Cash away to a school somewhere. I don't know. We'll pick. Yeah. We'll, we'll choose it. We'll we will donate. We actually really will donate. Uh, on the other hand, if you want to uh, support us in fiats. Uh, because that is the currency of the day right now. Um, and in order to expand this thing, uh, we do have a support link on uh, in our show notes anywhere you listen to our podcast, uh, whether you go straight to the Anchor page, whether you go to Apple, uh, whether you go to Spotify, there will be a link that is for uh, support. I think it's probably like anchor.fm slash I don't know, whatever. I think it's Buckeye-Z-A-K, Zach. Uh, and then somewhere it says support on it. But there should be a link somewhere. Um, and you can uh, you can donate to help us um, expand this thing. You know, so maybe we, yeah. can, we can get better, uh, better technology so we're not constantly Zooming. But, you know, what? Yeah. regardless, you got to start Zoom, somewhere. Zoom. But uh, that would, it, it, all the support would, uh, would certainly help. So, I mean... Yeah. But uh, but on that end, I mean, regardless, the best support to ever have is just the support of those that uh, want to listen, hear what we got to say, hear what our guests got to say, because there's no perspective, uh, or there's no perspective. There's no perspective on anything. It's all just within our own unique individual minds. And thus, there is no monopoly on perspective because we all have bias and we all have opinions and we yeah. can't monopolize. We can't have anybody monopolize perspective. And that's what the Legacy Ride is all about. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, follow either of us on Twitter, as I said, and just uh, just let's get let's get it chucking, man. Let's let's challenge the legacy narrative. So you can also catch us on YouTube. We are the legacy, right? I'm done with my promo. Take it on, Kevin Nash. Andrew. <laughs> hey, click this. No, but seriously, uh, check us out at Hunter Bites and Crack House. And uh, there's also uh, the Bitcoin Cash address, uh, address is listed on uh, the description there for Hunter Bites and Crack House if you want to donate there. Either, you know, it's easier to copy that way. So. It, you know. it is it is so come on down yeah come on down jump on telegram it's hunter biden's crack house we're making jokes on hunter because hunter is just i mean it's just he's he put it on himself man i'm sorry um but hey man but, he's got to put himself over right i mean obviously he's gonna be making deals with china and russia and ukraine and everywhere else to buy his crack and prostitutes and everything else that he does it obviously is only on 4chan so. exactly exactly so but uh but yeah come to hunter biden crack house join our community uh we are trying finally starting it out i think we finally got nine people that have joined those are nine lucky souls that get to see 
some silly meme or something silly that we post every day, mainly Andrew. I'm just posting a meme or reply to Andrew's meme or video. Uh, <laughs> but we're here. We're I mean, but uh, don't just come on. Don't don't come on and and just join. Come on and and interact. I mean, that's what we we set it up. We want it to be a community. So uh, interact. Say your perspective. And uh, don't be afraid to call us both a uh, couple of dumbasses, because uh, but a lot of malarkey. Yeah, a lot of yeah, malarkey, malarkey. That seems like a better word. Dude. All this, all this darn malarkey. Silly Just remember, Pedo Pete was a bad dude. <laughs> That's going on a T-shirt, man. <laughs> then we, we, that, does that does that have that's a that'd be a great t-shirt idea put that meme on yeah. there with joe biden with the curl with the cornrows and the cigarette out of his mouth pedo pete with a bad dude and then just put just put the legacy right on the back to <laughs> signify yeah. it from uh the legacy right but uh but uh yeah that would be because it gets it gets straight to the point it's funny and it's witty it's sharp and it's to the short. point <laughs> to the point so but uh with that being the case like i said make sure to check out the legacy right both on youtube apple spotify and or wherever else that we're on uh we're we're pretty much everywhere in the podcast world um so uh i'm gonna stop rambling and uh end it right here otherwise we could probably go for another hour we'll just just remember we may be called legacy right but you have legacy rights you can't mute those rights, no matter how unpopular they become. Amen to that. So, thank you again, Ezra, for coming on board. And thank you again, Andrew, for joining me once more as my color commentator and my play-by-play analytics. We are a great team. We should just start... Uh, yeah, we should just start doing a... Let's just do sportscast now. Yeah. <laughs> Nah, I'm just playing. Nah, we got to promote the legacy ride of the individual. Yeah. So, peace. See ya.